Welcome from Tiffin Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, today's sermon, we're going to be in 7 through 11. I know for those of you that have been doing your booklets, it has said 7 through 12, and you're like, what's the deal? Well, here's the deal. I did 7 through 11, and then I started studying 12, and I did a whole sermon over just verse 12. So, get ready for that. One verse... And you're probably thinking, maybe he will shut up sooner. It's probably not going to happen. It will probably be just like it always is. But I, I, got, I got to thinking about verse 12, and I thought about it for a long time, and I just went ahead and made a whole verse over verse 12. So today we are going to be in James 5, 7 through 11. Next week, obviously, I'm not going to be here. I am actually going to be at my church that I came from, and I've got to... Uh, tie up some loose ends there, and um, have a mission trip meeting, and uh, there's some things I need to take care of at Spring Hill Baptist, so I won't be here then. The following Sunday is Easter, and uh, be ready for that. I have asked that we do communion on Easter. I mentioned that to a couple people, so be ready for, on Easter, uh, communion, and, um, and we won't be in James Uh, on Easter either. I'm going to kind of take a break from that. So we won't come back to James, that is James chapter 12, until after Easter. And um, so we'll kind of have a little siesta from James here for a while, which is okay. Uh, You're still going to get a message from the Word of God nevertheless. We are going to talk about patience today. Patience. And... um, You ever been on a road trip and heard the title of my sermon? You ever been there? How'd that go? Heard it, and then one minute later, heard it again. And then there's the follow-up to, are we there yet? You know, the follow-up question, right? Yeah, how much longer or how much further? Yeah. That's going to be what we studied today. Are we there yet? How much longer? How much further? It has been a question that has been with us since we were born. So I throw some questions up there. How long is too long to sit at a drive-thru? So you're pulling into McDonald's. How long is too long? Let's hear some numbers. Three minutes. Three minutes. I'm going I'm to... If I ever eat at Debbie's house, from three minutes from the time I walk in the door, I had better be eating. That's, a, that's, what, that's what, what Jim Gaffigan said. He said drive-thrus are for people that are too embarrassed, too embarrassed to actually go in the restaurant, so they said, can you just pass it around back, out the back, so nobody sees me eating at McDonald's. Um, yeah, it seems like when you're sitting in line for a minute or two, you're like, what is the deal with this drive-thru? Or um, when was, uh, here's my other question. What was the last waiting room that you sat in or stood in? And how'd that go? I actually, the last waiting room I sat in, I actually sat and and looked around to see what they had in this waiting room to make my wait, because they know I'm going to wait. Like, what did they have in there to make it more pleasurable for me? They had a fish tank. And I mean, yeah, so I was looking at the fish tank. They had had this stupid TV on that was actually advertising, like, things I could do to be more healthy. I'm like, just put a ball game on or something. Like, put something I want to watch, not eat this way, exercise. Nobody wants to hear about that. I mean, I'm here because of that. 
because I don't eat right and I never exercise. So let's get that out of the way. But then they had magazines that were like from 2015. <laughs> and they're usually like a magazine on how to like make something taste better, like cook something. I'm like, there's like no magazine here I'd ever read. So the waiting room was painful for me. And it seems like from birth, we struggle with waiting. I don't know about you, but I thought about this when I was a kid growing up. I looked forward to school. Like I could not wait for school to start because my parents lived on the end of a dead end road in the middle of nowhere. So I had zero friends to hang out with during the summer, zero. So I looked forward to, 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 to school coming back. And then I would get into school and I'd wish away the minutes for Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, snow days, spring break. And then now I find myself wishing for the summer. Um, uh, I remember itching to get my driver's license. Like I could not wait to get my driver's license. And then I found out gas costs money, tires cost money, insurance costs money. And you know what my allowance was for driving a car? Okay, so I worked at home. We, we didn't get paid by the job. We got an allowance per week. All right, so you older folks, you older younger folks, uh, you're going to say, yeah, well, that's a lot. But I got $5 a week. That's what I got. That was my allowance. And I spent $4.50 of it in that Buick Skylark, a 69 Buick Skylark that didn't have a back seat. I bought it out, I bought it out of a junkyard from Bale and Hale one summer. And so... I remember I was like, yes, I get to drive. And then I was like, I got to buy tires. I got to get, this is ridiculous. And now it wasn't quite all, it was chalked up. I was working on that thing all the time. I got it out of a junkyard. What would I expect? You know, the coolest thing about this car, okay, so I'm not preaching at all. I'm just telling you stories here. But it had an 8-track player in it. That's <laughs> in the REO Speedwagon on 8-track. Anyway, but we wait for stuff. But... Those are just small items. They really are. Because the older we get, we begin waiting for things that really mean a lot to us. Like I can remember waiting for my first baby to be born. And that, that made everything else just pale in comparison. Like waiting for my first kid. And I know friends of mine who wait to find out if they can even have kids. I've got a lady I work with who just turned 40 that just a couple years ago, they actually found out that they could have kids and that they have been waiting for years to have kids. Um, I remember uh, being up at night, or maybe it was my wife that was up at night. <laughs> but I remember being up at night and, uh, and waiting on your kid to stop coughing or to not be sick or to stop crying because they were sick. Man, those are some long nights. Um, college applications, um, waiting to see my kid. I haven't seen my son since Thanksgiving. Is that right? What did he? Oh yeah, he stopped on his way down. We saw him for like four hours. Christmas. I haven't seen him since Christmas, and I talked to him the other day, and man, I just I miss him, and I I get impatient. Like I'd like to see him, like. We always are like, hey, can we come down this weekend? Well, I got to work, I got this, and, and then it never happens. And, and I just look forward to seeing my son. And so I catch myself 
in different kinds of waiting rooms that really aren't very comfortable. And so James's little section to me today, it meant a lot to me this week on patience, on waiting. And uh, as James writes this to a bunch of people who are scattered, the 12 tribes that are scattered and they're waiting, uh, they're actually waiting in a different way. And so last week we talked about money. In previous, we've talked about finding God's will. And James starts out this section telling us to be patient. To be patient. And if we're not careful, um, if we're not careful, we'll just live our lives with anxiety, stress, and we'll be impatient and we'll never feel contentment or peace. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, there's been some tough days in my life, and I'm not going to say that you haven't had tough days. I think we all have. But I catch myself sometimes thinking this. God, it would be nice if you would show up and fix a few things for me. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, God, but I've got some issues at work I could really use your help in. God, I, I, could, I would appreciate a little help with my family right now. Uh, with my brother-in-law, um, with, with my nieces and nephews. I don't know where you're at, but I could really appreciate you showing up. Um, God, I don't know if you realize, uh, but, you know, my, my sister died, and, uh, you know, since she's died, that family has just been going off the cliff, and I'd appreciate it if you would just show up. And, and so I catch myself in prayers like this. So when I read James, it, it, was, it was a positive in my life. It really was. And I hope you guys get that this morning. Let's read this. James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer and ask God to bless it. God, this morning, as we read your word and study from it, I just ask that uh, God keep me focused. Um, God, keep me focused on your word and on who you are, the goodness of your name the greatness of your love. God, I ask that you reveal a little bit more about who you are to us through this scripture, a little bit more about how much you love us. And God, as always, uh, reveal the parts of us that need some attention today, some issues in our life that need to be confessed, and some things that we need to, to make right with you today. Use your scripture to do just that. God, we love you. And we appreciate the time that we have this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen it in the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. You see, he starts off verse 7 with the word, therefore, Coming right out of talking about money, I think it makes sense. And I'll tell you why I think it makes sense. 
Because we look around at people who seem to have it all together and nothing seems to go wrong for them and we begin to sit and waiting gets painful. And we're like, when will it be my turn? I mean, when is God going to show up and do what I see other people getting for me? And James says, therefore, be patient and wait. I feel like sometimes I'm on God's basketball court. And this is my team right here. And so we get out there and we want to win the game. A.K.A. we, we want to spread the gospel, be obedient, live a life obedient to Christ. We want to win the game. The problem is the other team, they cheat. They lie. They say things about us that aren't true. They double dribble. They foul. They cheat. Then it seems like the referee, who is God, never makes the call, never blows his whistle. And these people just go on playing the game, and they seem like they're winning, while... The people on my team seem like they're losing. And so when I read this, I think to myself, God, when are you going to blow your whistle and call those people on their sin? When are you going to blow your whistle and just take them out of the game? James says that's not how we need to see it. His first example is a farmer. I think James is kind of picking on me because I didn't know much about horses. And he talked about horses. I didn't know a whole lot about boats. And he's talked about boats. Guess what? I don't know much about farming either. And here it is. I don't farm. The only time I've ever farmed, and it wouldn't even be called farming, it would be growing a garden. And I have never grown a garden at my own house as an adult man, ever. We grew a tomato plant once. Isn't that right? Yeah. When I was growing up, I lived in Iowa. What do you think we grew in Iowa? We grew sweet corn. I can remember having meals of just sweet corn, nothing else. Like we would just eat sweet corn. So I mean, I've, I grew stuff with my mom and dad and, and we had a garden, but it wasn't anything like James is referring to here. You see, James is talking about somebody who invests everything they have on a crop that they can't completely control can't control the rain, can't really control the condition of the soil. Rains come early, rains come late. Can't even control the pests or anything else. A lot of things out of that person's control. But God says, as our example, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit. Then I thought to myself, well, what's the point of for us? to wait. Well, it doesn't change because the harvest is coming and it is worth it. It's worth it. Matthew 13, I'll read some scripture. It tells us how much the harvest is worth it. Verse 8 out of Matthew 13, still others fell on good ground. This is the parable of the sower and the seed. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop some hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Anyone who has ears should listen. Matthew 19, starting in verse 29. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children, or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. 
but many, are, many who are first now will be last, and the last now will be first. You see, God's blessing, if we wait, is going to be bigger than we expected. Bigger than we expected. Well, what's a good yield when you're a farmer? Well, I had to look this up because I don't know anything about farming. Pretty typical is about 30%, about a 30% yield if you're a farmer. But I read this, and Jesus says, that's actually, that's entry level when you work with me. He says 100 times and 60 times. This is what I get from this farming is when I invest with Jesus Christ, the harvest is going to be at least expected. That means there will be nothing in my life that I invest that will come back without producing fruit. That means if I go to work and I live my faith out, regardless of what I see on the outside, God says it's going to come back a blessing. You may not see it now. You may see it later. But wait. Then he gives this 60 and 100%, which means there are scenarios where he says, you're going to get a blessing that's way beyond. You know, I, I read this, and I tell people this. Everyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children, that someday you're going to get way more than that. Because in heaven, here's the crazy thing, everybody's going to feel like family members. Everybody. It's hard for me to understand that. It's hard for me to understand that I will have a relationship with everybody in heaven that is just as close as if they were family. That's what he says. He says, hang in there. Hang in there. When I come back, I'm going to set it right. You may feel like you're in last place now, but you won't be then. Wait. Be patient. The best is yet to come, and it's worth it. He says to sit still in this passage. That when you feel like saying enough is enough and I'm out of here, James tells us, stay put. It's closer than you think. Verse 8, be patient. Strengthen your heart because the Lord's coming is near. It's not that far away. It's close. Then in verse 9, he kind of changes his direction a little bit. It says, brothers and sisters, talking to his fellow, fellow Christian brother and sisters. He says, don't complain. Says the judge is at the door. Well, we're all in the same boat, right? Everybody's waiting for something. You're waiting for something. Can you remember times where you had to wait on something and there was a person complaining? Yep, I can. I can remember we were in Mexico one time and we were about 30 minutes from the camp we were staying at and I had a kid in the van that was like the entire time for 30 minutes wondering how much farther it was going to be. They had to use the restroom. I mean, they had a legitimate reason to be complaining, but I'm like, there's no place for us to stop. You're going to have to wait. And for 30 minutes, and it felt like the longest 30 minutes of my life, they were complaining. Later on, we're on a bridge leaving Mexico and we're stuck on a bridge in a van with about 15 people 
and no air conditioning in Mexico. It's about 110 degrees out. Now I'm at the front and I'm driving and I got a window, but there's about 10 kids that are in the back, no windows. And guess what? I didn't hear one complaint. The whole time we were on this bridge, when we finally got across the bridge and we got out, there were three boys that were sitting in the back and they were drenched. Their shirt was completely soaked. Their jeans were completely soaked. Their hair was completely soaked and not one time did they complain. And I thought to myself, we were on that bridge for an hour and a half and did not, and that 30 minutes with the one kid felt like an hour and a half. And this hour and a half felt like 30 minutes. We're all in the same boat. Time doesn't go quicker when you complain about it. I mean, May 17th, that's the last day of school for me. It's close. But I'll tell you this, eating lunch in a teacher's lounge with a bunch of teachers who the only day that they recognize is May 17th, that can be a daunting task sometime. I sit in there and eat lunch with some teachers and all they want to do is complain about how May 17th isn't here yet. And then they complain about their students. And I'm like, they're in the same boat as you. They want May 17th here too. I, be I bet their classroom is just unbearable. I bet it's unbearable. I bet, I bet a 50 minute class period crawls by like an hour and a half because they're like, I don't like you any more than you like me and I wish May 17th was here. Complaining doesn't help. James says don't complain. It's not going to make it better. When things don't go your way, people are in the same boat as you. They're waiting too. Don't point your finger at somebody and say, you know why this is going so slow? It's because you're not giving 100%. Don't complain. God's coming. He's close. He's going to take care of stuff. You ever have anybody just drop by unannounced? Has that ever happened to you guys? My parents are notorious for this. It's Saturday morning, and they knock on my door. And immediately, I jump up, and I'm thinking to myself, should I straighten this living room up? Should I put on a shirt? <laughs> and, but I just, my parents are over for some coffee and some company, and they don't call. They never call. And here they are, knocking on my door. We thought we'd bring some ham over. 10 o'clock Saturday morning, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> That's what I thought of when James says that Christ is at the door. He's not that far away. He's like your mom and dad on Saturday morning. He is not that far away. Be ready to answer it. Don't get startled because you weren't expecting him because James is telling us straight up, it won't be long. I don't know why time goes quicker when you get older. I can't figure it out. So some of you older folks, tell me the secret because I haven't figured it out yet. But I thought to myself, I've been teaching for 22 years and it seems like last year was year one. And it seems like about three years ago, I had little kids in the house. 
and tripping over toys. And then all of a sudden, I'm, st I'm looking at when do I retire, and I'm, I'm starting to itch for grandkids, and I'm like, where'd the time go? God's right. Time goes quicker than you think, and before you know it, there's going to be a knock at my door. And God's going to say, Foster, that's enough. Come on home. And that knock is going to be sooner than I think. But while I wait, don't complain. James gives me some examples of patience. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets. Well, here's what I realized when I studied this. Us and lost people are all in the same boat of waiting. All of us. We all wait. But God, in his grace and mercy, puts a little extra patience on our plate in the form of persecution. Isn't that nice? It is. I'll read you some scripture. You see, you Christians get an extra helping of suffering that you have to endure. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but glorify God. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. This is Jesus, part of his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil about you. Be glad and rejoice. Because your reward is great when? In heaven. You know what that tells me? You gotta wait. You see, you put Jesus' names on your lips and you're probably gonna get yourself in trouble. And God says, that's a good thing. You see, you have to wait in this world of thorns and thistles just like everybody else, but in the meantime, you're waiting Make good use of it. So he pulls out the prophets, people who talked about Christ. Moses. How did Moses go in his waiting? God shows up in a burning bush and says, I need you to go free my people. And Moses says, have you got a speech therapist? You got one of those around because I kind of need one. He goes, yeah, I got one. How about Aaron? How about him? He'll be your speech therapist. Moses says, well, okay, I can't win an argument with this guy. I'll go ahead and do what he says. Then he finally frees the entire nation of Israel. They're going through the desert, and were they happy-go-lucky? No, they complained the entire time. I thought it was bad to listen to a kid complain for 30 minutes. Moses listened to, listened to them complain for 40 years. That's a prophet. How about Elijah? He's another one I thought of. Fought against King Ahab and his great wife Jezebel. He had to suffer a drought just like everybody else, but on top of that drought, he had to say, oh, by the way, God's the reason that this drought is here, and you guys better get your lives right. Think they took that? No, they didn't take that. As a matter of fact, they called him out. They ended up on top of a mountain. You remember it? Mount Carmel, or is it Carmel? We don't know. 900, about 900 prophets to one. There's a battle that ensues. He whips them through God's power, but then he goes on the run from Jezebel, completely depressed and almost suicidal. That's Elijah. 
spoke the Lord's truth and then gets chased down like he's a murderer. Then you got Daniel, ripped out of his home when he's 16 years old. 16 years old. 16. Put in a country, made to eat food that he didn't like, made to go to schools that he didn't want to go to, made to learn about religions that he didn't want to learn about. Sounds like college. Then he got into a king who basically wanted to use him for God's blessing on him and his wisdom to interpret his dreams. Well, Daniel didn't escape persecution. He literally becomes fuel for the fire, right? Him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, that's what he gets. And then after he gets through this, story's not over. Because he won't quit praying and won't quit living his life for Christ, well, now he's going to be a meal for lions, right? Well, that's Daniel. You see, Moses, Elijah, and Daniel, those are the prophets that we all admire. That they got their butts kicked all the time because they spoke up and lived for Christ. I don't think he's the worst one. I think Jeremiah is. Known as the weeping prophet. You know what God's message to Jeremiah was? See if you guys would stand up for this. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go to the nation of Israel and I want you to tell them that they're being evil, wicked, and sinful. Tell them to turn from who they are. Deliver the message I've given to you. And Jeremiah says, all right, God, I'll do that. And then he says, oh, but by the way, none of them will listen and none of them will say yes. The whole time you tell them, turn, repent, and worship God, they'll all look at you and say, no, but I want you to do it anyway. How about some notes from Jeremiah's journal? I went through Jeremiah and read the whole chapter. Unbelievable. If this is what being a pastor is, I'm, I'm out. Because this is insane. But this is what God calls us to. Jeremiah 18, 18. Then certain ones said, Come, let us make plans against Jeremiah, for the law will never be lost from the priest or council. Let's denounce him and pay no attention to his words at all. Jeremiah 20, verses 1 and 2. The priest heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, so they had him beaten up, put in stocks, and put in prison. 26.8, as he finished addressing what the Lord had commanded him to do, they all looked at him, the priests, the prophets, and all the people standing there said, you will surely die. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, at that time, the army came down and besieged Jerusalem. Guess what Jeremiah was warning them about? the army that was coming to besiege them, like, take them over. He said, Babylon's coming. They're going to take you over. Well, this is what they said. As they came down, Zedekiah the king in Israel, by the way, this is all Israel. This isn't like Babylon or Assyria or some pagan nation. These are God's chosen people doing this. He says, why are you prophesying that this is what the Lord is saying about us, that he'll capture us? Basically, he's telling them to shut up. Verse 30, or chapter 37. But when he was at the Benjamin Gate, an officer of the guard was there, and he apprehended Jeremiah the prophet, saying, you're actually deserting us. He's calling him a spy. And you're going to go to the Chaldeans. We're not going to listen to you. So they apprehended him, beat him, put him in jail, into a dungeon, and he stayed there many days. Chapter 38, Jeremiah was speaking to all the people. He says, whoever stays in the city is going to die by the sword, famine, plague, but whoever surrenders will live. 
He'll keep his life. Then the official said, this man ought to die. He's making us weaker. So they took Jeremiah, dropped him into a well. Threw him into a well. Didn't have any water in it. It was just full of mud. And it says, he sunk up to his neck. There's more. You want more? Or have you had enough of Jeremiah? James says, remember the prophets. What were they waiting on? They were waiting on God. And while they waited, they opened their mouth and they said good things about God. How about the last and greatest prophet, Jesus Christ? How about I read a passage of scripture about him? This is Isaiah 53. I'm going to read it. This is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How about him? How things fare for him and his suffering? Verse 1, who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering, who knew what sickness was. He was like one of the people turned, that we turn away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he bore our sickness and he carried our pains. And we in turn regarded him as stricken, that he was struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgression, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace. We're healed by his wounds. We've went astray like sheep and turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for us. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and sheep silent before their shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of us. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man's tomb. He didn't do any violence and he didn't speak deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him and make him a restitution. Man, did you hear that about Jesus? He was physically unimpressive, despised, rejected, considered worthless, carried our pain. People saw him like he was cursed by God. He was pierced, he was crushed, he was punished, all for us. Oppressed, treated harshly. This is all out of what we just read. Led to the slaughter, but never complained. Unjustly condemned to die when he was young. Buried like a crook, crushed with grief, and why? It was God's plan. And James says, that's who you look to for an, for an example of suffering and patience. He throws another one in there, verse 11. To see, we count blessed those who have endured. Have you heard of Job's endurance and seen that outcome? I think we all know the story of Job, right? Job 1 through 3, Job loses everything. Sounds like a country song to me. I lost this, I lost that, I lost this, I lost that. I think that's pretty much what Job 1 through 2 verse 10 is. So when you're tired of waiting and you're waiting for God to show up and fix stuff, he says, remember Job. 
Job chapter 1. I'm going to start in 13. One day while Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down, took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, a lightning storm struck from the heavens, so it seemed like it was God now, burned up the sheep and all the servants and devoured them. I alone escaped. While this one was still speaking, another came. The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided our camels, took them away. They struck down your servants with the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind, that seems like God too, swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, wiped it. Young people, they died. I alone escaped to tell you. Job then stands up, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, you know the rest. And the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what James says. While you wait. God doesn't ask anything of you that he has not asked anybody else. While you wait, make good use of your time. Tell people about Christ. You know, the great thing about Job is he starts out as a country song, but he ends as a country song in reverse, right? Like he gets everything back. I got my truck back. I got my dog back. I got my wife back. Yeah. That's how, Job ended. And that's how Job ends. But we're probably thinking, well, where's my Job ending? Well, I want you to know that not all of God's devoted followers, they get a Job outcome. Paul died in prison. Eleven out of twelve are martyred for their faith, except John, who was put on an island to die. But before they put him on that island, they tried to boil him to death. That's where he wrote Revelation. Be patient. It will not be long. Christ is standing at the door. He's just on the other side of it. Get yourself ready to answer it when he knocks. You know what makes somebody look anxiously towards the door? Is where they're at isn't very fun. That's what makes you look at the door. Is where you're at now just ain't very fun. Um, my grandma lived the last few years of her life with my dad. And um, there was a time I was there, and she slept actually in my old bedroom. And I was, I was in there. Of course, it's an old house, so everything's in a circle. So if you had to go to the bathroom or the kitchen, you were walking through somebody's bedroom or the living room. I mean, the whole house was a circle. There's like not a hallway anywhere there. And so I, I walked through the, uh, what they would call the TV room. Did not exist when I was growing up. But now that nobody's there, all the grandkids get to sit and watch TV. Me, cut wood, and mow the lawn. That was your entertainment. So I walked through there one night, and I can hear mumbling in my old bedroom, and it's my grandma. 
and she's praying. And I, I put my ear to the door and I listened. And she went through every family member that she could think of. Every family member. She was praying for them. But she got to the end of her prayer. And, and this, this knocked my socks off. She said this. God, you can come get me. I'm ready to come home. And then you know what she was like during the daytime? She'd drink her coffee and eat her peanut butter toast. And she would laugh with us. She would love us. She was a great gal during the day. She wasn't somebody walking around like she was a suffering servant. She walked around like there's something better to do in this waiting room than complain about it. But deep down inside of her, she was ready for it. She was ready for it. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He will show up. Don't be like a spoiled kid and when Christmas rolls around, presents just don't look that great. Be thankful for the suffering. In order to experience victory, you're going to have to go through battles. To know what comfort is, you got to know what pain's like. And to be saved and made right in God's eyes, you're going to have to know what it's like to be lost. A few questions I want you to think about while Sandra plays this morning. Will you give God control over your timetable? Will you give him all the time he needs to perfect your faith? Endure it. Be patient. Don't complain. And don't just get in this mode of survival. Thrive. Make the best out of it. Is it time that you spend God's waiting room more productively? Instead of complaining, tell people about a hope, about a good king, about God's suffering servant that came and died for us. While Sandra plays, will you ask God for an unnatural amount of patience? Because that's exactly what it takes for us to wait. It takes more than what we have. It takes Christ. We are not there yet. Someday, there's an appointment that you're going to have to keep. God will come knocking. Until then, be patient. Don't complain. Tell people about Him. Let's pray. God, this morning, God, first of all, thank You for Your suffering that you allow to come in our lives just so that we will stay humbled and look forward to your return. God, thank you for the days that we don't have just comfort and ease. God, thank you for the suffering that you allow so that we look forward to your return and we don't get too comfortable here. God, remind us continually that we are not home yet. 
God, keep us looking and listening for your knock. God, I pray for the people that are in here today that are sitting and waiting, and it is not fun. That, God, that you let them know that you wait with them. That you love them and you care for them. They don't have to do this alone. God, this morning, if there's anybody in here that um, has yet to um, experience salvation, that, God, you expose to them just exactly how lost they are. Lord, we love you. We trust you with a lot. We trust you with our family and our loved ones. We trust you with our money and our time. We pray these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. From Tiffin Baptist Church, thank you for listening to this sermon. Our Sunday service starts at 1045, and we'd love to have you join us.